Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. I grew up and spent 30 years in the CIA, in the clandestine service, trying to recruit spies. So when I'm overseas trying to meet a new source, what makes me successful more often than not is those people in those countries see their governments as corrupt. And they see the U.S. government following rule of law as being a serious place that protects people that, that is not a corrupt place. So they're willing to put their lives at risk and commit espionage on behalf of the United States because the United States is special. Now, if the United States is just another corrupt place where when you win an election, the president of the United States is willing to just crap out the intelligence to, to people to help himself personally, we're not going to get people coming to us. In CIA, I would say a good 75% of the intelligence that this country gets that helps solve potential terrorist strikes, uh, strategic issues with China, Iran, and these things comes from partners overseas, liaison partners, people who work with us because they trust us, because we've built up relationships, they understand our country's serious, and we can protect the secrets they pass. I guarantee that that trust has been eroded, and we're, we will never know the information and the intelligence that we're not getting because we're now seen as one of these countries that can't be trusted, you can't share secrets with. Hello from the Lincoln Project. I'm Ron Steslow. Welcome back to our weekly roundup, where we bring in a rotating panel of experts to discuss the truth you need to know behind the most important stories of the week and how they're shaping the political landscape in this country. As usual, we have an outstanding panel today. Making his weekly roundup debut is John Seifer, who's a Lincoln Project senior advisor, co-founder of Spycraft Entertainment, and a former member of the CIA's Senior Intelligence Service, a former chief of station and deputy chief of station in Europe, the Balkans, Asia, Southeast Asia, and South Asia. John also ran the CIA's Russia operations at headquarters. John, thanks for being on today. My pleasure. I think it's fun. And Lincoln Project co-founder and former chair of the New Hampshire Republican Party, Jennifer Horn. Always great to have you back, Jennifer. It's great to be back. And John only thinks it's going to be fun because he hasn't done it before. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) And and that other voice is legendary ad maker, Lincoln Project co-founder and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Everything Trump Touches Dies, Rick Wilson. Thanks for being on again, Rick. Hey, Ron. On today's episode, we're going to dive into Trump's flailing attempts to steal the election, the holdup on the Biden transition process, and changes at the Department of Defense and the National Security Agency. So the Trump team has become increasingly desperate, it seems, in their efforts to cast doubt on the results of the election. One of their primary methods has been filing lawsuits in states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Arizona. Now, they're basing these lawsuits on vague and completely unsubstantiated claims like the false rumor that votes weren't counted because poll workers gave voters Sharpies to use. They haven't been successful in court to date. So, Rick, what are they trying to do with these cases? Yeah, Ron, when lawyers have so far had to appear before judges to explain these spurious and ludicrous uh, lawsuits... They have almost kind of winked and nodded along with the joke. 
they know there's no evidence of wholesale voter fraud or election interference or shenanigans of any kind. And I think it's important to understand what's really happening here. Yeah is the two things are in play in the minds of the Republican Party. The reason they're going along with Trump making these lurid and 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 ridiculous accusations and and his attorneys trying to 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 litigate on this is they have two seats in Georgia coming mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. They know they've lost the presidency and they are well aware that voter enthusiasm when it's a when it when when Trump gives up and says I concede, which he will and must do. Um, voter enthusiasm with the GOP is going to go through the floor yeah. because the current Republican Party is Trump's party. Yeah. It's not Mitch McConnell's party. It's Donald Trump's party. The other thing that's going on here, you know, with the Trump world, you can always follow the grift. Mm-hmm. These massive waves upon waves of fundraising text messages and emails from Trump world. Um, as many, I got six of them yesterday to my, to my, salt account that i send trump emails to (laughs) six of them and the tone was so hyperbolic it's all on the line it's us or civilization the world will collapse if you don't send us your triple matched hundred (laughs) dollar donation percent matched donation (laughs) there was one it was like 655 percent match i'm like thinking uh did you tell sheldon in advance about that um but uh, th- part of this, and you read the fine print, it's not about the legal defense fund. If you don't, if you donate over eight thousand dollars, it goes to the legal defense fund. The rest goes to retire Trump's campaign debt. Yeah, that's what this so, is really all about, right? That's what this is really at the bottom line about. Am I right, Jennifer? I mean, absolutely, one hundred percent. They're so broke, they're out of money. They've spent it all. Now they're in debt, and they're trying to they're trying to gen up a boogeyman so that they can raise money to retire debt. Like that's what isn't, this comes down to, right? Yeah. Isn't there another thing? I mean. Seems to me that it's pretty handy to have this sort of stab in the back myth, like the Germans mm. did after World War One. You know, the Jews stabbed us in the back. Yeah, because it, it creates an army of non-thinking followers. It can be weaponized oh in future God. years if you if you truly believe that it was stolen from you. Yeah, but John, it'll be weaponized. It'll also be monetized. Yeah, those. That's what this yeah. is all about. Yeah. So here's here's this is my analogy. You okay. guys may not get this, but every suburban woman out there over the over the age of forty will understand this. If you remember the scene in Friends when Phoebe went jogging through Central Park, the way that you know you said flailing earlier, Ron. There's <laughs> a scene where she goes jogging, and Rachel doesn't want to be seen with her when they're jogging because when when Phoebe jogs, she jogs like this with her arms all over the place and behind her and in front of her and all like this. And of course, Rachel jogs with her arms tight to her side, very, very controlled. And so when you say flailing, like that's what I think of Trump and his administration. Yeah. They are all over their place, their arms. And it's insane. You know, it's crazy. For our listeners who haven't had the privilege of watching Jennifer flail, I think we might have to start posting videos of these podcast that, recordings. But Anyone who has seen that seen that episode knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it goes to what, what Rick just said. It goes yeah. to what John just said. This whole thing. Here, you know when Mitch McConnell is going to come out and and, and um, acknowledge that Trump lost? As soon as it becomes um, advantageous for him to do so in trying to win those yeah. Georgia seats. Yeah. Right yep. now, it's advantageous for him not to do so. 
everything that's happening in that Republican circle around Trump is about the, the, each person's need and ambition, whether yeah. it's the RNC yeah. or the NRSC trying to raise money for Georgia, all that sort of stuff. Trump is the only person in this whole circle who actually thinks that he's fighting, yeah. you know, some kind of a winning case here. Yeah. He's the only one. And to be clear, I know I said it a second ago, every single thing he is saying and doing is to manipulate his followers to become monetized tools for him in the future. Yeah. That's it. John, I, I want to go back to, to what you mentioned earlier, just briefly. Maybe you can expand on that because it, it seems that Trump is doing everything he can to leave the White House, but still be able to say he didn't lose for the rest of his life. What are the consequences of something like that, of the, of the president of the United States not conceding and not acknowledging a loss? So many people focus on, you know, on him and, his, and why he believes he needs to do this, whether it's his personal mania. But for the country, it's obviously really dangerous. I mean, we've seen polling recently that suggests some ridiculous amount, 80% of Republicans actually believe that the, the election's been stolen or that Trump actually won the election. And, you know, if you're trying to run a modern economy in an in a, in a international security in a world where the whole world's watching you, when you have a good chunk of your population who totally believe that, that the people who lead them are corrupt or they're illegitimate, you know, how, how are we going to solve things like, like COVID and like an, an economy that's going to be in its toughest place in decades and trying to rebuild the foreign policy that makes some sense you know, in, in this world. So I, I, I really think it hurts us on a, on a national security stage, economically and, and just politically and keeping us together. Let's talk about Trump's allies who have reached a new level of desperation in trying to find any evidence of fraud before bringing a new level of fame to Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Rudy Giuliani took to Twitter <laughs> to crowdsource theories to support the false claim that Republican observers were excluded from ballot counting in Pennsylvania. And Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick offered up to $1 million for tips about voter fraud. And Lindsey Graham, everybody's favorite spineless sycophant, <laughs> sent a letter to the Department of Justice calling for a federal investigation into allegations that a postmaster in Erie, Pennsylvania, instructed postal workers to backdate ballots mailed after Election Day. The postal worker who made that allegation has since recanted. So, Jennifer, can you talk about why they're so desperate to find any evidence of voter fraud? Because it hurts the Republican Party for Donald Trump to lose the White House. They know the White House has been lost. And the, the Republican Party has moved to a point now where they are so dependent on the craziest of Donald Trump's base that they all feel like they have to publicly play to it now. You know, and never mind that uh, it still doesn't account for the majority of Republican voters or the majority of Republican voters who voted for Trump even in 2020. Uh, they are so afraid of losing these people um, that they, they're playing to them publicly. Now, by doing this, to John's point, they are, they are genuinely damaging democracy. They are undermining democracy. They are damaging our position in the world. And when you say that, most of the Trump people say, I really don't care about our position in the world. You know, screw Europe, screw this. They, they all, America, America. Well, they don't, they don't have an understanding of how our position in the world has a direct impact on our security, on our economy, on our ability to influence bad actors to do the right thing and, and all the, you know, in all these other ways. So the fact that the Republican party leadership, 
separate from Donald Trump, Ronna Romney McDaniel, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, and go through the list of these people. The fact that so many of these people are advancing what they know to be false and dangerous conspiracy theories about voter fraud um, is a, a reflection on the degree to which the Republican Party has completely abandoned integrity. It's a shame to a great degree that the Republicans had as many successes on the ballot as they did in this cycle down ballot um, because they now feel even more beholden to those voters. Um, But the the lack of integrity they own individually. That's Mm -hmm. a personal choice that each one of them makes. They own it. Yeah. So I don't want to get too wonky on this particular question and and any of the three of you, please feel free to chime in. But I want to unpack a little bit for our listeners what we mean when we say this damages our standing on the world stage from a national security perspective and also an economic perspective. And please stop me if you think I'm oversimplifying here. But I think it's fair to say that the United States, our ability to borrow money from other governments to pay our bills is sort of core to how we do government at this point in our history. The reason that foreign governments are so willing to continue lending us money is because we're stable. We have a stable government. And from presidency to presidency throughout our history, we have had peaceful transfers of power. And when we look like that might not happen or that we're actually having serious conversations about a president not leaving the White House peacefully. What does that do to our reputation, not just from a national security perspective, but, but economically? What does that make us look like to other, other, other countries who are actively lending us money to pay our bills? You know, obviously, the Treasury periodically goes out into the market and foreign foreign nations buy our treasury bills mm-hmm. uh china being one of the most important purchasers of our treasury instruments and there has long been a fundamental belief in the world that no matter where we were politically up or down republican or democrat that america was a fundamentally safe haven that we had the most stable uh system and the most stable economy over time in the world and that belief has been shattered. The idea that we are the that we are the the, the safe harbor uh, politically, the safe harbor economically, the safe harbor in terms of institutional strength has been broken, and people have seen that we could and would and did elect a man like Donald Trump. People have seen that we 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 could and would and did elect someone who had a profound disregard for those institutions, who shattered many of the norms around them and who was who who was in a position for 4 years that reduced the power of this country in the world the regard in which we're held the trust in which we were once able to rely that america's word meant something that our principles drove our policy they saw someone who looked a lot like the we've been most critical of in the world. So I think that has put us in an enormously dangerous position. Yeah, I agree. And that's really well put, Rick. John, I'd love to hear your perspective. This is this is bigger than just being embarrassed on the national stage, right? It's bigger than, you know, us just not looking our best, right? There are actual consequences, actual implications to our security, uh, both economic and, and and otherwise. Yeah, let me just tie to my personal experience. So I, I grew up and spent 30 years in the CIA, in the clandestine service, trained to recruit spies to provide intelligence for this country to help keep it safe. And so, and there's something that makes the us have probably the best intelligence 
service as an best intelligence system in the world. And it's not that we're as cagey and as good at spying as the Russians are or put the resources into it that the Chinese do. It's that we're special. Our country is seen as special. Mm -hmm. So when I'm overseas mm -hmm. trying to meet a new source, what makes me successful more often than not is those people in those countries see their governments as corrupt. And they see the U.S. government following rule of law as being a serious place that protects people that, that is not a corrupt place. So they're willing to put their lives at risk and commit espionage on behalf of the United States because the United States is special. Now, if the United States is just another corrupt place where when you win an election, you're just trying to steal money or the president yeah. of the United States is willing to just crap out the intelligence to, to people to help himself personally, we're not going to get people coming to us. And secondly, yeah. those are the spies that work for us. In CIA, I would say a good 75% of the intelligence that this country gets that helps solve you know, terror, potential terrorist strikes, uh, strategic issues with China, Iran, and these things comes from partners overseas, liaison partners, people who work with us because they trust us, because we built up relationships, they understand our country's serious, and we can protect the secrets they pass. And I guarantee that that trust has been eroded. And we're, we will never know the information and the intelligence that we're not getting because we're now seen as one of these countries that can't be trusted, that you can't share secrets with. God, this is bad, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, yes. Sorry. It just yes, it is. is it just is hitting you, Ron? No, is it it's just not. It's you? just it keeps hitting me. It just keeps hitting me over and over again because we get so distracted by the Twitter tantrums and right, right. But exactly, but it's and bad. It, we think it's just about you know this child in the Oval Office who's pitching a fit because he lost the yeah, game. Right. Like when we say that what is happening right now undermines democracy in the world. Yeah. That's serious. Yeah. That's a big thing. Peace in the world. It, you know, and I, I think about this a lot from the perspective, again, of the most ardent Trump people. Why are they? They like him because he puts America first, because he wants to take us out of all these foreign entanglements and foreign agreements and foreign wars and all of that sort of thing. What he is doing right now puts us in the greatest danger of entering into that kind of, that kind of um, danger in the future. And, and John said it better than any of us, and he knows better than any of us what the reality of that is. This this is dangerous. What he's doing, I you know how how else can we make that clear to people? How else can and for me as a as a former state chairman of the Republican Party, I look at that and I say this is really dangerous. What he's doing? Yeah. Who is what is the one entity that could pull him back, shut him up? you know, tie him down, the Republican Party leadership and every single one of them, with very few exceptions, is choosing not to do it. And not just because they're afraid that he might mean tweet at them, but because they're seeing political gain in the immediate by allowing it to continue. Yeah. That's despicable. What's even more insidious, I don't know if you've seen recently that a lot of the, the supposed corrupt, fraudulent votes they're picking up on it from military families in places in right. yes. Nevada and other places. So they're essentially picking up on military people who serve, you know, in another base away from their home place and they're noticing the difference in addresses. And so these poor military families are getting accused of for, for yeah. fraud. It's and they ridiculous. announced that on Veterans Day <laughs> of, all, of all days. <laughs> the people who are defending our right to vote are being disenfranchised by a fraudulent effort to try to suggest voter fraud. 
that's also despicable. So I think it's important, and we just did this, and uh, Rick and and John did this so well, but I think it's important that when we talk about Trump destroying, dismantling democracy and our institutions, we have to put that into material terms that people understand, like the consequences of these things, because I just worry that those high-minded words are are inaccessible and don't really and begin to not mean very much unless we spell out the consequences. And I and I think you guys just did that really well. Trump himself has continued his Twitter meltdown since election night. He's gone on to urge his followers to boycott Fox News and trafficked debunked conspiracy theories about election fraud. And Twitter continues to mark these claims as disputed. But John, I'm interested to know how these claims, you know, I only lost because I because they cheated, line up with what we see from other government officials around the world when they lose elections. And I put that in air quotes, elections. Yeah. So in the in the theme of us becoming, you know, Minsk on the Potomac, um, <laughs> this is a re- this is a real problem. I mean, Minsk is a good example. Yeah. You know, we have, you know, corrupt leader. Elections are meant to be known ahead of time who's going to win, and if there's any sort of problems, you then smack down on your opposition. I, you know, I spent a lot of time in former Yugoslavia with with uh, Milosevic in charge, and how you know they they used. Uh, you know, they put the rural against the cities. They used, you know, their their party people against against you know their neighbors, and you see what happens in those places when this is when this is done this way. It can lead to violence. It can lead to war. It's not, you know, out of the realm of possibility even for this country that we could be shredding those sort of uh, norms and those issues that keep us keep us safe. It, this is not a game, you know, and I. I we talked about allies before. You think about China. China, you know, the average worker there is, you know, a quarter as productive, you know, as the American worker, and their economy is as large as ours. You know, as they can, and they've they've continued to improve. You, you can see in the next few years they're going to be, you know, their workers are going to be half as productive as us, which means they're going to be two, three times the size of the United States. If we're going to deal with with challenges like China, we need allies. We need people who trust us and see us as serious players, so that they don't sign on to the Chinese side; they sign on to the American side. All right. So earlier on, we talked about peaceful transfers of power. And I want to talk about a key, if little known, Trump appointee who has delayed the Biden transition process. Now, under the 1963 Presidential Transition Act, it's up to the General Services Administration to determine or ascertain, that's the word in statute, the winner of the presidential election before the transition process formally begins. Her name is Emily Murphy. She heads up the General Services Administration under Trump, and she has yet to make this determination. Among the key pieces to this process are access to the Department of State's Operations Center for Transition and a government record of calls with foreign leaders and access to the presidential daily briefing. So, what, John, why don't you lead off on this? And then Jennifer and Rick, I want to go to you on this topic too. But can you help us understand how important it is for the president to have this information from the very moment he takes office? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people in the country don't realize the, the, the scope and the complexity of running a modern government and how important it is. If for people who haven't read it, if you get a chance to read uh, Michael Lewis's Fifth Risk, which is essentially about the transition from the Obama administration into, into the Trump administration. You know, he's an outsider that came in and just tried to look at that process about how the Department of Energy and the Department of Agriculture and or Defense tried to prepare for the, the new Trump administration and how the Trump administration fumbled it. 
And in doing that, he learned just how incredibly important these, these programs are that Americans and people don't even realize. The Department of Energy controls our, our nation's nuclear weapons programs. It, it cleans up you know, nuclear messes and problems around, around the country. I think most people don't know that. Yeah, the military. About the is, nukes. Is, yeah, the mass of our, our, our health system. This is not a, again, it's not a game, but we have a huge process and we need to get professionals and people in there to, to learn their remit, to learn what's going on, to get briefings on these things. You know, 90% of the government are serious, long-term experienced professionals and they understand that what they're, what they're turning over is not, you know, just a political talking point to try to win election. It's, you know, some serious stuff. And, and, and if you just wait until the new, new team comes in, it's very easy for events and problems overseas and, and even you know, people t- wishing to do us harm to take advantage of those weaknesses. So this transition period is actually critical to maintaining continuity of the entire government. Absolutely. Jennifer, CNN is reporting that the State Department is sitting on messages from foreign leaders for President-elect Biden, sitting on them. Foreign leaders are now going outside the State Department to Obama-era diplomats to talk to Biden. <laughs> can, you, can you talk about the pettiness? I mean, that, that's really what this comes down to, right? It's petty, but, it, but it's also despicable because, again, it puts our country at risk. And uh, we all know uh, the, um, you know, if, every, if people remember after the attacks on September 11th, the 9-11 report, a big part of that, not a big part, but a part of that re- that report talked about how the transition from um, Clinton to Bush was pushed back because of the lawsuits over the election and how that could, had some impact on the ability to make a smooth transition, to, to get information to the president's people too, um, you know, that, and that that to some degree may have played a role in why we sort of missed the signs that we should have seen on those September 11th attacks. It's genuinely dangerous the way they're conducting themselves, but it hurts the people too. It hurts the spirit and the soul and the heart of our country to have our president behaving this way. And I just pulled this up. It's slightly long, but let me read this to you. It's a tradition that the sitting president, the outgoing president will leave a note for the incoming president um, in the Oval Office as they come in. This is the the handwritten note that President George H.W. Bush left for President Clinton when he became president. Uh, January 20th, 1993, dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four Mm. years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times made even more difficult by criticisms you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice. Just don't let the criticism discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is now our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. That's what this is supposed to be. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. And and not to bring us down, but Rick, I, like, I can't help but think about the contrast between that note and... For example, Mike Pompeo's comment from mm-hmm. from the podium, and you know, it it was one thing. And I the the comment, by the way, was we will have a peaceful trans- transition of power from Trump's first term to Trump's second term. And when I saw that in print, it was 
extremely alarming. And then I heard a bunch, a whole bunch of people say, well, if you watch the video, it sounds like he was joking. And then I watched the video and he's not good at joking. So like, Rick, what is he th- playing at with a comment like that? Well, what he's playing at is, is ambition. He wants to run for president like all of them do. However, he also is a guy for a man who graduated first in his class at West Point, who swore an oath to this constitution, um, who understands there's a standard of behavior for senior government officials. Um, it was a truly repugnant and sleazy and small moment. He had every option in the world to do the right thing, to show the rest of the world that we have a standard, to show the rest of the world that we're not some you know third world clap craptocracy and and he chose not to and and i have to say i want to echo what jennifer was just talking about yeah 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 you know uh, i was a junior junior guy young i was i was a kid still uh in the first bush administration in the 41 administration and that note he left bill clinton i can tell you also iterated out across the government when i was working for cheney at the defense department the transition was we were told you find your counterparts you hold their hands, you left seat, right seat these guys, you take them through the ride, what you do, you help them, because no matter what, we want the functioning of government in this country to continue. When George W. Bush was transitioning the Obama people, and I spoke to an Obama person just recently, we were talking about COVID, and he told me, he said, you know, they really put a lot of emphasis on the pandemic stuff. And so when we came in to build out more capacity, we discovered that they were not only helpful about it, but they were like, this is something we think you should really worry about. This is a big focus area outside of terror. And so, you know, you see those kind of examples where, where uh, the decency of, of the people that are going to make the the mechanics of government run outside of the politics should be front and center. The focus on service first. Yeah, right. That should be top of mind. But I assure you, the the Trump team will go from the head down. Mm -hmm. They will all be afraid to be seen as a person who helps the transition. Yeah. And so it will be harder. It will be, we will be, they will be hopefully not that behind the curve, but they will be behind the curve from where they could have been if the if the Trump organization was cooperating. Yeah. You know, they're they're also undercutting themselves. You know, we talk about a peaceful transition of power, but there's also, you know, a professional transition of yeah. power. Think about this. Pompeo is going to be traveling for the next week or two to, to countries around the world. All of those people in those meetings are going to be looking at him and saying, I'm reading stories that you're not passing on yeah. information yeah. from mm-hmm. my yeah. foreign ministry. And he's going to laugh minister. and try to laugh yeah. it off. Yeah, That's just simply not professional. That's not what a, a, a massive, important world state should be doing on the world stage. Let's be honest here, Rick. When you talk about you know sitting side by side, you got to guess that the majority of the people coming in on Biden's administration is more qualified than the Trump people that are sitting in those seats right now. Anyway, like they, and not that not that that makes any of this okay. But thank God he's actually going to bring people in that are not his buddies and friends, but people who are qualified to do the job. And you said something at the beginning of your comments, Rick, about Pompeo wants to run for president someday. I keep looking at every every year. When there's a new something else happening in politics, I keep looking at it saying, okay, this is it for me. 
the Lincoln Project 2020. Mm. I'm done with politics after this. I got to get <laughs> out of here and just be a normal human being again. Jennifer, and when we talk a lot about, of people just heard that and they're getting very mad right now. Well, what I was about to say is when I, when we hear, when I think about Pompeo wants to run for president, Tom Cotton wants to run for president, all these senators, they think they're going to run for president. That makes me feel like, you know what? I Until every last sleazy Spineless person who has empowered this president is put aside. None of us get to walk away. That's, you know, if we wonder about, you know, what is the Lincoln Project's, you know, mission in the future? What is our responsibility in the future? In part, it has to be to make sure that those people never see the inside of the Oval Office. Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer, I could yep. not agree more. If, totally. if people, if people keep saying, like, aren't, "Aren't you guys tired? Are you ready to be yes, done?" Yes, I'm this? tired. Yes, I'm ready to be <laughs> all tired. Yeah, we're all we're fucking all tired. tired, everybody. Yeah, we're ready to be done with with Trump. Yeah, but everybody forgets that op-ed we seven signed yeah. had a very yeah. <laughs> Trump. And, and Trumpism, Trumpism. and the enablers, and seventy million people just voted for this guy, right. and we've got some soul searching to do. We Bef- sure do. Before we leave this transition topic, though, I want to talk about uh, the DoD and the NSA a little bit, John. We we also saw a major shakeup in the military and intelligence communities this week. Uh, since Monday, four senior Department of Defense employees have been fired or resigned, including Secretary of Defense Esper, his chief of staff and the top officials overseeing policy and intelligence. And I think one of them was even the general counsel to the NSA, who seems to be a new yes man. And that seems to signal maybe, I I don't want to, you know, I don't know at this point in where we are, I don't know when I'm being paranoid and when I'm being prudent, but it feels like somebody's got uh, devious designs on turning the intelligence state inward. And I wonder what you think about that. And and can you talk about why there would be a shakeup this late in the administration? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense if you're actually trying to govern and run the country. But so let's, but we also now have time to look at Mr. Trump and figure out what may be going on. First of all, the people who are taking over for these senior officials to include um, Mark Esper are junior, they're partisan, and they're sycophants. And it isn't like Mark Esper was a titan on the Potomac. Right. I mean, he, he, probab- <laughs> right. he probably right. would not have been Secretary of Defense in any other administration, but we're now looking at him as a serious professional who's being replaced by some of these, these people who have you know, backgrounds of working with Devin Nunez and things like that. So the question is why? So, okay, so they talked about Michael Ellis, a guy who was at the NSC. He's the guy that reviewed the Bolton book, you know, for political reasons, if you remember, he worked for, with Nunez, and he's the guy that took the the Ukraine um, call with the president when he realized it was going to be bad for the president, and put it onto a separate server to try to hide it. He's been sent over to the NSA to be their head lawyer, and what's tough about that is that's a civil service job, which means the next administration just can't fire him and push him out because he's not a political appointee. And then there's this guy Kash Patel, who also uh. worked for for Nunez and Grinnell. Um, Rick seems to know who that is. Yeah, I uh, know. I uh, yeah. I, John, John is the intelligence community expert, but I I've bumped around its edges long enough to know that guys like Cash Patel and Derek Harvey and the the rest of that clown car are just a, a disaster. Absolutely, and Anthony Tata, who is one star general, is now the head of policy at the Defense Department. Wow! And then Ezra Cohen Wadik, who is a Flynn disciple, thirty four years old, is now in a senior position over there. Now, what I don't understand, if you're a senior general, that place, the Defense Department is a massive beast with with people with real experience over decades and decades, and generals and admirals. 
then, you know, it has to be debilitating for them to, to put a bunch of these pygmies in these places at the end of an administration. It can't signal professionalism. It has to signal something else. So the things we look at, is it just Trump being, you know, a vent for vengeance? Eventual, is he just yeah, being right. a dick? Yeah, yeah. You know, is it part of this process we've seen with Ratcliffe and others in the intelligence community to try to declassify any materials that might make the 2016 election look better with, with Russia? There's also been talk about, you know, Trump is upset with the military. They seem to be stonewalling him on sort of his things. He wants to pull people out of Afghanistan and the other kind of things. He just doesn't understand that, you know, you can't take thousands of troops and billions of dollars worth of equipment and pull it out overnight. Um, there's also been some talk about Iran that they might want to be, you know, taking some actions, uh, you know, pretty you know, strong actions against Iran. So I don't know the right answer to that, but I do know that when you take people like that and you stick them in with only a couple months to go in a professional military with with serious people it, it's not done because you're trying to improve governing to improve your national security yeah rick what's what's your read well you know last last night on lptv we had uh, general mark hurtling uh and we and fred wellman as well and we had a conversation about the 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 unprecedented nature of this um as as John just mentioned, they're also talking about going down the chain and firing combatant commanders in the field um, because Trump feels like they didn't withdraw from Afghanistan fast enough so he could get a Nobel Peace Prize for making a deal with the Taliban. Um, and he's angry that we haven't uh, executed the withdrawal of half of the 45 or for, like 40,000 uh, military, civilian, and, and dependent personnel from Europe where he wants to close the door and and withdraw America from it. And so th- this idea that he's going to put these people in place to help Greece firing combatant commanders and e- executing these immediate withdrawals across the globe, it's, it, it is a staggering um, a- abdication of responsibility and a staggering betrayal of this country. Now, now, hang on, before we move on to that, Rick just said that Trump wants a Nobel Peace Prize for making peace with the Taliban. We should ask John. John, does the Taliban want peace with the United States? The Taliban wants the United States out of Afghanistan so they can take over and institute a government that obviously, you know, for the years and money we put into putting women in schools and, and building up what should be a mildly uh, you know, decent government there, uh, the minute we pull out is the minute that government, the Taliban, take over and and institute that sort of medieval government that they're looking yeah. to do. People people forget that the Taliban, prior to our post-9-11 invasion there, they routinely took women into soccer stadiums and beheaded them for uh, not wearing the appropriate length veil. So not not to mention LGBT people and, you know, yeah. all, all the Christians yeah. and I mean, go through the list of people yeah. that the Taliban. So um, I just I just find it fascinating. Again, all these uh, base Republicans who think that Donald Trump is right on the tar- right on the mark with some it's of this. Essentially so surrendering. It would to be the Taliban. surrendering yeah. to the yeah, Taliban. That's what it is. Yes. Yeah. All right. Now that we have covered the most important stories uh, that happened this week, I want to turn to the week ahead. So Rick, why don't you lead off? What story stories are you watching as we head into this next 
tumultuous week. Well, I'm I'm watching like like everyone else on the domestic front, the 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 collapse of this flimsy legal artifice that the Trump campaign tried to put out there. You've got Kaylee McEnany for whatever reason tweeting as if she works for the campaign and not for the federal government. Um, all these anecdotal pieces of this is evidence of voter fraud. We have to throw out the whole election. And and so that's I think that's going to start collapsing on itself as more and more courts say, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the language of my native Tampa. <laughs> um, the other thing I'm watching is the Million MAGA March this weekend, oh my which God. the White House is promoting. How did I miss and that? And Kaylee McEnany is, was on the podium saying, oh, we can't wait. It's going to be a huge march. And they neglected to mention that some of the organizers include the Proud Boys um and and a, and the groiper army which is an alt right group so uh, you know these people are where is this uh, happening in the mall oh my god on the mall yeah so it should get, it, i think the weekend should be fairly sporty so that's one thing to one thing to not look forward to yeah i i assume that will be a masks required gathering is oh absolutely they're going to be socially distanced <laughs> completely jennifer yeah you you, you know them <laughs> jennifer what are you watching I well, you know, Rick said something earlier. He said eventually the president um, will have to concede, and you know, we'll have to move on. And it, here's the thing: is no, he doesn't have to concede. He won't. Like I think, I think it's much more likely that what will happen is that at some point the pressure will um, come, will bear upon this woman who's got the got to sign the letter for the transition information to be passed on to Biden. She'll do it, and um, he will tweet his anger at this, and and it's all you know, it's all big conspiracy I, I my prediction is that he does not ever concede that we go to january 20th mm -hmm. and beyond and he doesn't concede mm -hmm. but as this all mm -hmm. unfolds i will be continuing to watch so-called leaders in the republican party i would like to yeah. see you know yeah. which one of yeah. them is going to finally step up and say the right thing at what point for example does Ronna romney mcdaniel acknowledge that the incumbent Republican president has lost the election. Never. Never. Exactly. This is what Never. I'm saying. Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> you know, we've got a couple of senators who have finally come forward and said, and Ben Sass, Lisa Murkowski, they're, you know, kind of the usual suspects. But when are the people who actually influence the base of the party going to step up and do what's right yeah. for the country? That's what I'm going to be continuing to look for because if January 20th rolls around, they still haven't done it. You know, that, that, I mean, I can't, I, I keep thinking we have seen the worst from our, the leaders of this party. And then the next day I wake up and it's even worse. So. John, what do you got your eye on? Two things. There's been a lot of reports about the president firing FBI Director Ray and CIA Director Gina Haspel. I will continue to watch that. But there's another name that I think is really important that has just surfaced too, is the top cybersecurity official at Homeland Security, Chris Krebs. And a lot of people don't pay attention to him, but he, you know, in a way, he's a real hero. He really protected our election system about putting together a very sophisticated all-of-government approach to try to protect against foreign hacking against our government. So if you see any of those three or others pushed out, I think that's another sign that there's some insidious game being played. Well, Krebs is telling people he expects to be fired, and he, he's really? been blowing the whistle on a lot of these uh, election fraud claims and saying, no, it's not. It's for him. <laughs> All right, folks, watch that. These damn professionals. <laughs> and there's just a little bit of a note of optimism having worked in some of these large institutions is, is, you know, decapitating, taking out the leaders of the Defense Department and the CIA and the FBI. 
it, it doesn't mean they're not going to continue to be professional and do their work. And, you know, some people would even joke that, you know, taking out the leaders often make them better at doing their, their work, you know, doesn't allow, doesn't allow the politics to get into, you know, the day-to-day work there. But the, so, so what I'll be looking at is, is, is can Gina Haspel, can Christopher Ray, can Nakasoni at NSA, can they push back against this game that's being played by Radcliffe and others yeah. of trying to, to cherry pick intelligence and declassify intelligence that has something to do with the Russian 2016 thing? Listen, there's, 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 there's thousands, if not millions of pages of, of, of information that, that can easily be pulled out and to create any story you mm-hmm. want to create. And, and, you know, it's going to confuse the American public if they sort of pick a piece out here, pick a piece out there, and it's just going to it's just going to be something that continues to make make us weaker as we move forward. I have a listener comment and then a listener question, and I'd love for you to to go deep on the on the listener question because I think it's a, it's representative of a lot of questions we've been getting lately. But the comment comes from Jimmy Palma. And he writes, I'd like to start off by saying thank you for all the hard work Ron and the rest of the Lincoln Project have put into not only the podcast, but the Lincoln Project as a whole. I'm an independent voter. And although I was only leaning left for this past 2020 election, you guys helped nudge me completely over to vote for Biden-Harris. The podcast is absolutely phenomenal in that it is extremely informative from the perspective of true Republicans who are not caught in the whirlwind of Trumpism. So Jimmy, thank you for that note. The question comes from Pam Fromm, who writes, how can any bipartisan legislation get passed with Mitch McConnell in charge of the Senate and refusing to bring any Democratic or even bipartisan bills up for a vote? Rick, do you want to take that? It it cannot. Nothing will happen if Mitch McConnell remains as the majority leader of the the U.S. Senate. Um, And that that is a grim reminder of the importance of our work in Georgia right now. And, you know, the, uh, we've talked about this a little bit. We put about 15, 10 or 15% of our resources into the Senate races last year. And, and if I could go back and wind back the clock on one thing, we would have gone in heavier in one of the states, whether it was Maine or Alaska or Montana, because we did early work in Arizona and early work in Colorado, and it was it was effective. And it helped shatter those campaigns. Um, and if I could do one thing differently in this campaign, we would have gone in harder into Iowa or harder into Montana or harder into Maine or harder into Alaska. Because um, we've really got a big gamble here. We've got to win these races in Georgia yes. to, to ensure that both Mitch McConnell... Them. Yeah. Yeah. We've so got to win to both to that, get to 50-50. Yeah. To ensure that Mitch McConnell doesn't put a gun to the head of the Biden administration on day one and pull the trigger, because he has promised that's what he'll do. That he says he's saying already he's going to block Biden's cabinet appointments. He's going to block COVID aid. He's going to block, you know, he's going to block the things that Joe Biden needs to be a successful president. And and as horrifying as it is, do not underestimate Mitch McConnell. He yeah, will do it. He will do it. And, do it. and so that's something that I think is enormously important to recognize why we're going to get into Georgia with a very loud campaign. And and that's the commercial right there, Rick, that he's already said yep. he's going to block sure COVID aid. Like we, we got to yeah. make those guys run against Mitch McConnell. I, I think it is. A, if we make it a referendum on Mitch McConnell, then we're in a lot better shape than, than we could have possibly been otherwise. But you know what, Ron? I'm going to disagree with Rick just a little bit on something said early on. It is nearly impossible 
to move our country forward while Mitch McConnell is the majority leader in the Senate. But from a, I do feel genuine optimism that Joe Biden is going to be able to bring the kind of nonpartisan unifying message to some of what he wants to do. Oh, I agree with that, that Jennifer. I do well, agree with yeah, that. Yeah, and I think yeah, that we will be totally able to, to generate pressure from the people into the Senate onto Mitch McConnell. You know, not across the board, but on an issue here or an issue there where I think, um, and that's the only thing Mitch McConnell cares about, re-election, holding on to power. So it's going to have to come from we the people in a pretty strong way. And there's a small benefit to be gleaned from the fact that Trump was just so lazy and never actually tried to govern or put together you know, serious legislation is he did everything by presidential directive. So that does allow the Biden yeah, people to yeah. undo those directives or create their own directive. Now, you're, you're right in the bigger cases. Is, you know, McConnell can stop legislation yeah. and real stuff. But, but yeah. the fact that Trump was, was lazy and did, did his work that way does provide the Biden administration a little bit of latitude. Oh, but there's going to be so much screaming and yelling about it when he does that. Oh, yes. Oh, it's going to be really ugly. So up in arms and it won't matter that it's exactly what oh, Trump did. Half, half of Trump's cabinet are just, you know, acting people, you know, if, if, if right. Biden wants to right. do that, he certainly right. can. Right. Uh, there's a lot of the uh, sauce for the goose, sauce for the gander here. Yeah. Um, remember, you know, Donald Trump essentially governed with acting secretaries and executive orders. Yep. So if Mitch McConnell wants to obstruct then I would strongly suggest that Joe Biden use the same tools of government that Donald Trump's fans thought were the greatest things since sliced bread. And another reason why the Lincoln Project must continue to point out the hypocrisy when Republicans blow up over Exactly. This. Oh, and we will be there every step of the way. This episode was recorded when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And please know that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.